Before I get into what I want to share today, I wanted to make a comment about the Good Friday presentation, and specifically John Casella's part. John's character on Good Friday was an intense, uh, angry, almost offensive, as he plays a member of the Sanhedrin, quite happy to see Jesus crucified. It was perfect. It was absolutely true to life. The members of the Sanhedrin, by the morning of Good Friday, were screaming for the death of Jesus. The crowd was yelling insults, all frothed up, trying to get Pilate to kill him. The anger John displayed in his dramatic narrative would have been nothing compared to the real anger of the Jewish leaders and people screaming for the death of Christ. That's the nature of Christ and of the cross. It offends us. So thanks to John and Melissa and everyone who has worked hard both to challenge and comfort us on this Easter weekend. Well, I can't speak for you, but I'm getting ready to get out of the house. I want to sit in a crowded IHOP restaurant and have breakfast with our sons and our grandkids. I want to go out to lunch after church with a bunch of people from my life group. I want to take Robin and Megan to Cineplex, and I would love to be able to share Easter communion with all of you. So frankly, there are a few things about this morning that are a bit disappointing. I would love to be part of a 20-voice choir singing Anus Day with Miles Rippenhagen telling all of us where he thinks we need to be piano and where he thinks we need to be forte. Well, right now, even though it's only been about three or four weeks, it feels like we've been doing this for three or four months. So the prospects of it lasting another three or four real months doesn't feel very good, if I'm being honest. We need to think about how we're all going to cope through this. Here's something interesting that you could consider. In 1975, a military physician in the United States Navy conducted a study on what was most helpful for U.S. POWs captured in North Vietnam, uh, North Vietnam during the Vietnam conflict and who were placed in solitary confinement. A questionnaire was developed and given to 137 pilots asking about the usefulness of specific time-killing activities or adaptational strategies for dealing with extensive periods of being alone during captivity. They looked at four different coping strategies to see which ones the former captives would rate the highest with respect to effectiveness in helping them deal with isolation. Now, what they found was that for the POWs who were separated from their fellow inmates, the development of relationships with their captive guards, like the guards who were keeping them captive, that was the most effective strategy for coping. Now, they also found that reminiscing about their early lives was quite effective, at least at the beginning. But over time, that was replaced by self-development activities, kind of self-growth procedures. And then they found that conducting repetitive behaviors while in isolation was actually the least effective way of coping. So if I've read that right, you better love the people you're quarantined with because relationships are the most significant factor in coping. Even relational contact with their captors was far more effective at helping them cope than anything else. And it sounds like with time, you need to do some things that will help you grow as a person because eventually you're going to get tired of telling and hearing the same stories, especially from your husband and how great he was at hockey when he was nine and a half. But all of this is more effective than just carrying out the same routines in response to your isolation. So you need to get a little bit creative when it comes to coping with all of this. Now, speaking of that, I wanted to show you something uh, that my son sent to me. And this all has to do with a time when he and his brother and his sister were all little kids. 
and they were going to school. And sometimes in Victoria, of course, it would rain. And so it's raining outside. They can't go outside for recess. And so the teachers had them do turtle races. And here's a turtle race. Oh, no, we've got to pull the string tight. <clears throat> Mommy's getting it. Mommy's getting it. We'll give her a head start. Give her a head start. Okay. Go. She's got a nice little lead. Go. Go. Hey, get off the string. There you go. Oh, oh, wow. Okay. Oh, 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 oh. Come on. You can catch up. So I, I think you get the idea. It may be that my uh, son and his family is a little bit too competitive there when it comes to turtle races, but you get the point. Well, all you do to do this is to make for yourself a turtle out of the back of a cereal box. You can color it. You can put your name on it, do whatever you want. And then at the top, you want to punch a hole, just like you saw in the video, and you put a string through there, and then you can have your turtle race. And I hope that your family might enjoy that uh, while you're all cooped up in isolation. Well, not all of us are going to be up for a turtle race. But that's okay, because I think there are some things specifically related to our faith that have even more capacity for carrying us through some pretty tough times. I want to show you maybe the most powerful of all. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6, verse 3. We'll be there in just a minute. You know, there are way too many of us who are trapped, not so much by our current isolation, but more, I would say, by other things having to do with our spiritual lives, like our own sinfulness. I would love to go watch a movie in a crowded theater, but if you ask me whether I'd like to watch a movie for a couple of hours or be eternally free from my own sinfulness, I'm choosing being sin-free every time. Well, here's what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 6 about what Easter means for being sin-free. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead for the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in this death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he can't die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now what this means for us today, right now, is that we aren't actually trapped in our sin. It may seem like it at times, but we aren't for at least one good reason directly associated with the resurrection and therefore associated with Easter. We're told in Scripture that death comes as a direct result of sin. Romans says that sin came into the world through the first Adam and death came through sin. But if death is overcome in the resurrection, what does that have to say about sin? Doesn't it tell us that sin actually has no power over us 
because of the resurrection. The resurrection defeats sin and it defeats death. Jesus defeated both of these two horribly significant issues for humankind, sin and death. He didn't just defeat it in his own life, but the resurrection was God's eternal defeat of death everywhere, certainly in our lives, always and eternally. It's effective for those who stand sinless by the power of the resurrection. So listen to Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. Paul says, There is now, right now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life, who gives us life, has set us free from the law of sin and death. Sin, then, has no real power over us, and death as a result of sin has no power over us. Because the cross and the resurrection has set us free from both. Now there's something else we need to see. We're told that resurrection is actually all about the overcoming of everything death-like. If death is the opposite of, now, now watch for this, if death is the opposite of life, then resurrection that overcomes death is the overcoming of death in all its forms, meaning that the newness of life is going to come to us in all its forms in the resurrection. That means that neither we nor the rest of creation, damaged by the fall, is eternally damaged and trapped because there is newness in the resurrection for everything. If anything, this tells us, it tells us that God isn't going to let things remain the same. It's telling us that Jesus coming back from the dead changes everything. You know, up until now, and really I should say up until Jesus, death was one thing that you could and I could absolutely count on. In fact, we used to say that there were two things you could count on, death and taxes. Well, now, as, a couple of, as of a couple of weeks ago, you actually don't have to pay your taxes on time. And we already know that death isn't the final word. And so we aren't trapped in whatever the circumstances are in which we find ourselves, death or taxes in this case. Now, Christ said, behold, I am making all things new. And I would say that this renewal of all things is empowered by, created by, the newness of the resurrection. So it may feel like our current circumstances are never going to end, whether we're talking about our own personal sinfulness or the brokenness of the world, including COVID-19. But resurrection says to me that God is not a God who is going to let things remain the same. Instead, he has already in Jesus started the long process of making all things new. Praise the Lord.